Hello and welcome to Ducks on the Pond. I'm Kirsten Diprose. And I'm Jackie Elliott. In this episode, we meet three women who are dedicated to telling the stories of rural women and in doing so, challenging some of the gender stereotypes and even pressures from other women about what modern life on the land should look like. We'll also hear some of their storytelling and social media advice as well as solid life advice. The role title farmer's wife or farmer's partner so many people are so scared to say it because they think it might degrade them. And, and you know, and I know that women on farms are the strongest, most intuitive, but also great social people. You know, they hold communities together. I literally just Googled the term, what does a farmer look like? Looked at the images and they were all old men with pitchforks and Vibbrace overalls and There were very few women, there were no kids. The images that came up were really outdated, old-fashioned type images, and I thought I could do something about that. You just heard from Kim Storey, New South Wales farmer and photographer who created the coffee table book, What Does a Farmer Look Like? as a way to tell a more accurate story of rural life. And the voice before that was Philippa Cameron, whose popular Instagram account, What's for Smoko, shows her life as the station cook and as a mother in New Zealand. She's also released a cookbook based on her Smoko recipes and will be doing a giveaway of her book, a signed copy via the Ducks on the Pond Instagram account. Very exciting. We'll have more details about that at the end of this episode. And finally, you'll hear from the creator of The Visible Farmer, which is a project by Gisela Kaufman, who isn't on a farm herself, but became inspired to make a documentary series about female farmers across Australia. So let's meet Philippa, our first international guest who I caught up with recently. So I live in a small rural town called Automatara, um, which is in the middle of the South Island of New Zealand. We live on a 40,000 hectare, so a 100,000 acre high country property. And we've got some lowlands that have a bit of irrigation on them. But we live in a very picturesque place. We um, are surrounded by great big lakes and mountains. Well, look, tell me, how did you end up on Unamatara Station? Is that correct? Yeah, so off. It's sort of like a Spanish vowel, automatata. Automatata. That's the one. How did you end up there? What, what brought you to there? Yeah, so I'm a teacher by trade and I met a country boy in a country pub one day after a rural races. I think this might be quite quite a, a story with parallels to many a rural Australian gal, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and we ended up um, back here at the farm after a few years away while my husband Joe was flying for Jetstar. Yeah, and then, so how, how many years have you been there? Since my eldest daughter was six months, and she's six now, so been home nearly nearly six years. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And what is it that you guys do on your on the property? So we have merinos, sort of a flock around the size of thirty thousand ish, and then we also have a, a Hereford and Angus um, cross cow, which likes the, the the lows of the gullies, and the sheep like the highs, so they they work in tandem quite well. My husband Joe is responsible more for the arable side of things. So 
we have a stock manager that deals with the stock along with my father-in-law and then Joe is more responsible with what they're going to eat and what's being put in the ground so that there's something in place for the next season and then my job is is to cook for everyone so on the property we have obviously the household here with myself my husband and two daughters and then we have a stock manager with his family and then we have shepherd's quarters what do you guys call a shepherd is that a jillaroo yeah jillaroo jackaroo jillaroo and jackaroo so we've got two female shepherds and then we have casuals quite often and then my father-in-law as well so I'm often cooking for between six and ten people and so are you cooking most of the meals throughout the day or is it just one set meal yeah, so traditionally the cook would have done all the meals, but just the way that the household sort of work these days, a lot of people that would have once lived on now drive. So the casuals all drive and they like to go back to their houses with their families for main meals and things. So we just supply groceries for the shepherds and then all the smokos, I do. And if there's a lunch out on the hill, because quite often with the property being so extensive, they quite often are away from, from here during the day. So they, I, I do a picnic lunch, a takeaway lunch. When you started doing the smokos, were you finding inspiration on what to cook or had you ever had that sort of experience before in um, maybe what you did in Australia or, or did you step right into that role and like take it by the reins and go for it? Did you have any experience prior to stepping into that role? Yeah, I did. I cooked on a grain farm in Western Australia for one seeding season. So I I found myself getting a bit stale in my job and answered a very tiny ad in the back of a newspaper to um, be a cook. And I just needed a bit of an adventure. So off I went and ended up living in Del Wollongu. I'm sure maybe maybe you've got some listeners from Del Wollongu. <laughs> Actually, not far out from there on a large grain station and cooked for 10 men who were on um, 12-hour rotational shifts. So I ended up cooking double of everything. So there would be breakfast as the, um, one shift went out to the tractors and then there'd be sort of like a, a cooked breakfast for those coming in like their supper and then there'd be packed lunches that went out and then there'd be lunches for the ones that were in which would be their sort of breakfast and and then vice versa so as some were coming in others were going out so it was really great but so I'd had a bit of experience with that but when I took on this role I had two very small girls and it was not what I had expected for the timing but we sadly lost my mother-in-law who had been doing it. And so it was just a one of those scenarios where you've, you've just got to pick up what you can to help everybody out. And yeah, so inspiration-wise, that's where the What's for Smoko Instagram page came from because I was really struggling for inspiration. So I thought, well, if I put out there what I'm making, maybe people might share with me what they're doing, which is how it all started. But now it's more become me but which I've become much more confident with and and I actually find it really fun now creating new recipes and and making sure they're really simple one pot something you can chuck together in 20 minutes so I'm not a master chef I'm not a I'm not a like a a, a pretty baker but it's good food quick simple anyone can do it I don't know about you Jackie but that's my kind of cooking 
tastes good, quick and simple, and of course, healthy is important too. Yeah, for sure. But I actually really like following Philippa because I love her personality. Her posts are often quite funny. But there's also a bit of a statement in there too on her account about how she sees her role and the role of women on farms. I do strongly believe in our roles as rural women and I say it in the book and I say it all the time on my Instagram too that you know this is a time and a moment and place and my time at the moment is to be a mother to my children and I as you say I'm an advocate for them and I want to give them that upbringing that will give them the skills the initiatives the drive to be empowered to do whatever they want but at the same time I'm such a big advocate to say that it's to, to give yourself the role title farmer's wife or farmer's partner. So many people are so scared to say it because they think it might degrade them. Or I know that the older generation, they possibly say the words, I'm a kept woman or I'm just the farmer's wife or I'm just the, the gate opener or things like that. And, and you know, and I know that women on farms are the strongest most intuitive but also great social people you know they hold communities together and I think it's one of those things that we need to to show that lifestyle to show that it's normal so that when some um, people might marry into a family a farming family and they might be from an urban area themselves that they don't fight it that otherwise you're going to resent your other half you're going to resent the community and so I suppose what I'm trying to do all the time is just trying to normalize what we do and and show what a great laugh it is and that it's it's good to be thankful because some people will find themselves in a situation where they marry into a farming family or move to a rural community sometimes you'll find those people resent the other half for opportunities lost Whereas I want to show that for this time and moment, maybe that you're bringing up a family or that you're supporting your other half, just find the role that fits you for now and embrace that because it's only for a short moment. Like our children are only young for so long and soon they'll be gone and we'll be at school. And in, in, in my case, my youngest starts school next year. And I have enjoyed every single moment of having those girls at home with me. And I haven't felt like I needed to be finding a side hustle or that I have needed to um, work full time to prove my worth to my family because I know that my worth has been here on the farm and been with them as well. And I think there's a lot of people like myself who enjoy this role. And sometimes you don't want to be the person at the barbecue that says, you know, I, I really miss the kids when they go back to school or um, a lot of people like to say oh gosh I know I can't wait for the school to start again I'm sick of the little buggers or those sorts of things whereas it's actually all right to to enjoy your family life and it's all right to to be the person who drops the smoker off because I enjoy that banter with all the farm workers I know that my time will come again and actually quite crazily has happened through this Instagram account that little things have just been popping up and I've just been grabbing what makes sense for this moment and then letting the other stuff just sit till later. Oh no, I think I'm that person at the barbecue that Philippa is talking about, Jackie, but she is absolutely right. 
it's all work and it all has value and we all have to do what makes sense for us. And for me, it was to work part-time because I really do like being with the kids. But personally, when they were really young, I found it really hard to have them 24-7, often on my own. So going back to work part-time was the solution for me. It gave me the break that I needed to be a better mum. Yeah, and I think what's good about Philippa's advice is it's about going with the flow and not being resentful. And don't feel like you have to be you know, cheated on your university degree, you will use it again sort of thing. But I also, when I do chats these days, I also talk about how parenting is a partnership and that I can see the frustration if you are all of a sudden the 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 baker, the dishes washer, the hanging the washing out lady that actually there are two people in the relationship and two people parenting and that if one cooks dinner, one should do the dishes. <laughs> one, do you know, like I find, I think I find when chatting to people, the resentment comes from they've gone from being an independent woman to all of a sudden being, you know, the lady with the apron being the house slave. And that, yeah, that it's a good idea to have that chat if you're starting to feel that way. I mean, you used to be the person leading teams and um, inspiring people and so have that conversation with your other half and and find some compromise in your household so it might be well an example in our household is is that he or she who cooks does not do the dishes and my hubby makes sure that he puts the kids to bed every other night now I know at certain times on the farm you might not ever see your other half due to what's happening in the busy time of year so you just got to get over that that's what happens but on those other times it is totally okay for you to share that role because parenting is two people not one person and and I think your relationship will be better for it too or otherwise you'll find yourself drying the dishes and chucking them in the in the cupboards as loud as you can just so <laughs> he can hear that that's what you're doing or uh, <laughs> you'll find yourself picking up socks off the floor swearing like saying you know why am I the one that always had to pick this up <laughs> so it's just good to have those conversations early before terrible habits are formed why do I feel like Philippa is always talking about me? <laughs> Are you a passive aggressive cupboard shutter like me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm more of a highly assertive socks and clothes picker upper. That's how I like to describe it. Mainly for my kids, I have to say, I'm still training them. Husband, he's fairly well trained. <laughs> Good to hear. I like to like try and make the bed when he's going to bed. That's my best habit. <laughs> <laughs> But look, it's some great advice from Philippa and just embracing her current role on the farm has really led to the creation of such a popular Instagram account. Philippa doesn't have a side hustle, but she's managed to create an account with 20,000 plus followers, which has led to so many opportunities, including a published cookbook. All of that is very organic. I haven't gone looking for that, which has been super crazy. It's just sort of happened. And people love to have that little sneak peek into the property. And I try and show as much of what we're doing as well as the cooking side of it. And I know that we were at the pub a couple of weeks ago and one of my friend's husbands was like, I'm just there for the helicopter. <laughs> so he loves any footage out of the chopper and, and that sort of side of it. So that's, that's fun as well. I think a lot of people 
tune into my page for all different reasons. Like you say, you're not there for the food. Some people are there for the food. Tom was there for the chopper, you know, so it's, um, it's got a little bit of everything. But yeah, as for side hustles, it, the ones that, like, as you know, also, I'm a big believer in the wool industry as a big supporter. I have actively chosen not to purchase any synthetic clothing for myself or the children. And, and that's like a, a New Year's resolution so that I know going forward it will just be cotton and wool. So that supports the farmers. I've turned down influencer roles with supermarkets. I can say what it is. So it's our countdown, which is your Woolworths. Because our countdown stocks your Woolworths brand, which is Australian. And so when you have to use the home brand flowers and sugars and oils and all the rest of it. And I said, oh, no, I want to support New Zealand farmers. And they were like, no. (laughs) And so I was like, no, thank you. So it's little things like that. So I think that's where some of the followers have come from. Because I know that if I am going to be doing a paid role, that it's a genuine one. I'm going to support small New Zealand and Australian businesses I'm going to support the farmer always and foremost I think that comes down to working with people who match your values you know watching your social media evolve you're probably a strong valued like you know on values a kind of person yeah and opinionated did you say Jackie very opinionated (laughs) definitely not opinionated I and I think though that's so important to have those values and if something's not going to align with what you truly believe in how can you be a hundred percent in supporting that you know what I do with Rural Women's Day is it's really around those values and I want to be able to support people that I personally would love to support and they're the people who I want to be able to share about and it's when I invite speakers to the event like I look at people who I absolutely love because and and I respect what they've got to say and you know and sometimes it is a different opinion and but and Rural Women's Day, I created that for me because I knew I needed that connection and then now a lot of people like yeah. that yeah you've made it you've made it completely relatable and I think that's how we found each other as well is that the the topics that you discuss or I discuss are relatable to each other and to that wider rural community like you can see where your audience is from and I just love that 20% of my audience is from Australia I just think that's incredible it just sort of shows that as much as we like to have a little bit of rivalry you know there are very much aspects that that we are on each other's sides yeah. And I think also too, you've probably got the same pressures and social pressures and pressures from the government around farming and restrictions and things like that. And we say here about the rural and urban divide getting larger and larger and that no longer are your cousins coming from the city to stay in the in the holidays and see what farming's about. And so that's what I've also enjoyed about this Instagram account too is it's just showing reality and and what goes on and that it's actually a really cool process and people love to see like we've just finished sharing so people love to see that sharing process and the amount of people that comment on things like wow do those sheep just sit there they look really relaxed and you're like yeah they're not doing it against their will <laughs> yes some might get a little bit upset but they sit down and they but at the end of the day they love all that wool being off them you sort of explain to them it's like would you like to have five jumpers on for summer <laughs> and, right. and 
and right at the beginning, I used to sort of laugh at some of the questions and comments would, people would ask because I, I didn't realise that people didn't know. And then you're like, this is actually genuine. Like I say, I'm a big advocate for the wool industry, but I'm also a really big advocate for the shearing gangs because without them and their hard work, you know, the farmer wouldn't get the wool check. And so I love showing the process of, of what we do with our fleece to make the most money out of it, but it comes down to those um, wool handlers in the classer. And so people love that as well. They're like, wow, they work so hard. I don't know, you guys had the same stereotypical mind in Australia that the sharing gangs love to drink a lot of booze and hang out at the pubs and, and things like that. But people, that's what they, that's what they have in their, their head they don't see the hard work they do in the sheds and I love to show that yeah yeah absolutely and I think um people do see things differently if they're completely unaware of how a situation might work and you know saying about how the sheep like they just sit there to be shorn and it's like also though that shearer has probably got years of experience on how to hold a sheep in the right position so they don't feel like that they're going to fall backwards or they're not struggling um and it's about pushing in the right way like pushing in the right spots to push their leg out you know straight or pressure um, points and we all have them too (laughs) yeah absolutely and um it's yeah like shearing a sheep isn't just you know people don't just go in guns blazing and shear a sheep there's a lot of process that goes into it even right down to how they're mustered out of the paddock and brought up to yeah. the shearing shed. That's that's exactly it. Yeah, and and then and it's also that romance that I think people love about the Instagram account. The romance of the of the shepherds on horses, the dogs, the mountains, and, and it is so different. I suppose I think it's maybe maybe what a lot of the Australian audience may be like. It's such a different landscape. The great big valleys and a lot of our sheep when they come out of the mountains have to cross. Um, swing bridge to get across the river and all those sort of fun wee aspects of it all but um, the romance goes both ways we love sort of watching it and you know great big cattle drives and red earth yeah <laughs> and I think also to um, it like the social media side of it is to that obviously we live rurally we live geographically quite far from other people or our friends perhaps that we went to university together that find themselves in different rural areas and and so then it sort of makes you a little bit closer and because of the visual aspect of it all people are quite invested in in what's been happening and and vice versa and and all of a sudden you don't feel so lonely. Another woman who has released a book telling the stories of rural life is Kim Story. Yeah Kim's a photographer and created the coffee table book What does a farmer look like? So obviously a book about challenging stereotypes and it features women, but also men and families on the farm. I really, really love the name of this book. And Kim is a farmer herself. So I thought that perhaps some of the inspiration for the book might've been through her own experience as a female farmer, but it wasn't. I'll let Kim explain. So I grew up on a sheep and wool property at Bathurst that my parents still have. So we enjoyed all the freedoms of being kids on a farm and heading off to explore the, the scrub part of our place and just being gone all day and mum and dad not knowing where you are. But And, you know, I got really involved in the farm with all the animal husbandry stuff that, that goes on, you know, drenching, shearing, 
and then I had a year between high school and, and college but went to the farm at Forbes and then headed off to Orange Ag for three years. And so where are you now? Where do you live now and what do you do? So I live um, at Yagara now so I spent sort of 12 years after Ag College working for elders in farm supplies and animal nutrition and I found this little farm here at Yagara and I pulled a pin with the corporate job and bought this place and set up my photography business and yeah that's that's where I'm at now so. So where's Yagara? What's its nearest big town? So Yagara is in central west New South Wales right between sort of Orange Forbes Parks Cowra that sort of circle so beautiful part of the world. Not too far from home? No, that's right. It's only a couple of hours from home, so quite an easy drive to see mum and dad and help out at shearing and that sort of stuff. So, Only a farmer would say a couple of hours from home. <laughs> Close to home, only a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's only just down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about photography. So so you're, you're a farmer and you're a photographer. When did that passion start? Probably dad got me onto the photography. He um, was into it a little bit and had a an old uh, camera with a huge zoom lens on it and I used to muck around with that as a kid and I just got really fascinated with um, capturing images around the farm. So I've always been the annoying person at the party with the camera and, <laughs> you know, I did love taking photos when I was working with elders and the girls I worked with started her own photography business while I was there and I just thought, you know, it never actually occurred to me that photography could be a, a business or a job so that sort of kick-started me into into considering doing that and starting my own business. You've had quite a, a good press coverage of your book What Does a Farmer Look Like? Can you tell me about where the idea came from to do that? So it was just a conversation on Twitter about the perception of women in farming is how it started but it it then just became a general perception of farmers and I literally just Googled the term, what does a farmer look like? Looked at the images and they were all old men with pitchforks and bib and brace overalls and there were very few women, there were no kids. The images that came up were really outdated, old-fashioned type images and I thought I could do something about that. So I wanted to do a coffee table book of my photography for quite a while but, you know, there's a lot of those out there so how do you stand out? So merging those two things together I thought would be a goer. So trying to try to improve that image of farmers to show that the modern version is what the aim was and did that strike you as someone who had grown up on a farm and as a farmer themselves did it strike you as odd when you googled what does a farmer look like knowing exactly what a farmer is what were your thoughts when you saw just a whole lot of old men in overalls I guess I was disappointed but not surprised if that's all but yeah there was nothing there that represented you know my family or my friends or my neighbors within farming so I just thought simple photography and portraits of of farmers from all sorts of different enterprises and and demographics would um yeah try and help to change that you know when I first started dating my now husband um and I'm from the city originally my friends used to nickname him Old McDonald and because it was like this harking back to that farmer image 
And also he's a little bit older than me. So we used to say old McDonald. And when, when I look at it now, like old McDonald, the song, the persona is this stereotype that has kind of lasted and stuck and it's not a good thing. Yeah. And you still see it, you know, when the drought was in full swing here and, and the media coverage, when lots of things were happening like Dress as a Farmer Day or there were, you know, radio stations or TV shows trying to do good things and dress as farmers, but they were all, you know, <laughs> bib and brace overalls and it didn't actually represent what we are. I felt like it was a little bit belittling when you have those dress as farmer days. I had, you know, a friend's daughter to their school you know, dresses a farmer day and was and <laughs> literally just went in her farm clothes and um, was told by the teacher that she wasn't dressed correctly because she wasn't wearing a flannelette shirt. Like, and that's in a in a small country town. So, you know, I still think we have a bit of work to do on that on the whole image thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about when you obviously started making this book and who were you, you know, who were you taking pictures of and, and what were the stories you were telling? Well, just to get started, I, I set up a, a Facebook page and I just call out, put the idea up, asking for people to be involved. And I was absolutely inundated by people messaging me, wanting to tell their story. So I feel like I actually hit a nerve with the project in that people in rural areas are I guess they were feeling like they couldn't get their story out and that there was a bit of a disconnect between us and our and our city friends you know I could have done 10 books with the number of people that got in touch to start with I was saying yes to everybody and then realized I'd said yes to 70 people and I hadn't even you know got two weeks into it so there was a real desire for people to tell their stories You know, Jackie, I find that so interesting that farmers were so keen to tell their own stories. When I was a journalist in Melbourne wanting to do a farming story, and to be honest, it was often because something bad had happened, like there'd been a dramatic drop in prices or there'd been too much rain or not enough rain. I used to find farmers would put you on to one person and then they wouldn't want to do it. So the farmer would put you on to another farmer and on and on it would go. And I used to call it the farmer runaround. Do you know why that is? Look, I can understand why farmers, and especially in small communities, are apprehensive of sharing their stories or sharing what's happening on their farm because they don't like comparing. You know, they don't like things out there for show and tell, basically. And what happens in their farming enterprise might be different to their neighbours. It comes down to being in that small community and the privacy of, of their business. Yeah, now that I am a farmer, I can understand why if there is a drought or there's been some sort of natural weather event, you don't want to talk about it because you know that there's probably someone worse off than you. And so you don't want to be the one putting their hand up saying, woe is me. So I kind of understand that now. But Kim says it's really important that we do share our stories, particularly beyond our own circles. I think it's important to show people that, you know, we're running businesses and we're embracing amazing technology on farm as well as talking about the challenges involved in farming as well but I I feel like the only sort of mainstream media attention that farming gets is you know something bad has happened whether it's a you know drought fire flood or animal welfare issue I know it's hard to get good stories out there but I think we should be 
concentrating on telling them because there's plenty of them out there. You know, and there's many different ways to be involved in agriculture too. It's not just a bloke doing the hard work in a paddock. It's it's so much more than that. What about in terms of, of gender? Did you have, did you start out with this project going, you know what, I need to show that there are female farmers or did you just start this project and discover something along the way? Yeah, look, showing female farmers was certainly a part of it initially but what I I probably hadn't realized is just how much of a challenge it can be for some women to be farmers or to be involved in the farm and I guess that's because I grew up with parents who never you know stopped me from doing anything because I was a girl my mother was farming with her father and you know breaking the mold in the 70s and she tells a story about going to get a truck license and she could hear the, the police in the next room all laughing and drawing straws about who's going to take the girl for a truck driving test. So, you know, she was the only woman driving a truck into the grain silos in her area. So, you know, when you've got someone like that as your mum, I guess I just didn't ever think that, you know, being a woman would hold me back from anything to do with farming. But once I started doing this project and, and started, you know, going to rural women's events and field days and, and things and starting to talk to all sorts of different women, it became pretty clear that there is still challenge for some women to be involved in their own family business or, you know, to be a farmer outright themselves. And I guess, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So the more that I can talk about it as part of this project and the more that, you know, any female farmers can tell their story and, and be seen in particular on social media makes it a lot easier I think the better it'll be for the next generation of girls coming through I wholeheartedly agree but how do we go about finding a platform people like Philippa our Kiwi cook have built a following through social media and therefore have an established audience and Philippa was able to find a publisher for her book in Ellen and Unwin which clearly helps with distribution and promotion so then what about if you're self-publishing? Kim explains how she found buyers for her book. It was really well received the farming community, which was, you know, fantastic. But I found it quite difficult to get any traction in the metro areas, but the Buy From The Bush movement really helped with that. So the Buy From The Bush movement's really contributed to connecting with with people in the city in a positive way and not just with you know sad stories of the drought or you know disaster which is putting a positive spin on it is I think the best way to to build that connection and people want to know more about where their food and fiber comes from and producing it so the people that have you know gone out and bought a book or, or read it um have yeah had some great feedback and I think farmers, we all love looking over the fence into the neighbour's place and that's what it's a bit like when you're reading through some of these stories in the book. So, <laughs> I love a sticky beak over the neighbour's fence. <laughs> yep, don't we all? But, you know, it's interesting how Buy From The Bush really helped Kim connect to people in the city who might be interested in her book. And another organisation that's bridging the rural-urban gap is called Visible Farmer. You've probably seen them. 
Yeah, I have. They have done a beautifully shot documentary featuring rural women, including Debbie Dowden, who lives on a remote WA station, who was in our very first episode. Yeah, that's right. And I think hearing from Gazella Kaufman from Visible Farmer is a great way to round off our first series because it's an example of someone from the city really wanting to raise the profile of rural women and tell those positive stories rather than just the bad ones. I've been in documentary all my life, to, you know, for 25 years. And I came across a group in Melbourne, Melbourne Museums, Museums Victoria, actually. And they had a research group called Invisible Farm. Don't know whether you've heard about that, but it was basically, it's an academic project and it's finished now. But they were looking at the role of women, you know, through the history of times and actually why they were never really acknowledged as being a very important part of agriculture and living on the land. They were there, but never acknowledged. And I read about their research and it was a good website too. It just really got me hooked. And I spoke to the group and I thought more and more about it. And I thought, well, of course, there's women out there everywhere, but why don't we see them? Why don't we hear their stories? You get the odd story. And then we said, my partner and I, we've been doing documentaries together for you know decades, said, okay, let's go out there and show these women. It's really about, the whole project is really helping changing the face of agriculture. And we are just a small part. But it's about, you know, gender equality. It's about acknowledging not just what women have done, that's one thing, but also really encouraging a whole new generation um, of people who can work in agriculture. Are they male or female? But showing young girls and young women that, hey, you know, it's such an interesting, diverse, innovative field, you can make that yours and there is a place for you. So. That was sort of, yeah, that's how it all started to roll out. And from the feedback Gazella has received, she's really struck a chord with people working in male-dominated industries, both in the country and the city. Yes, look, I think there are some very classic so-called male-dominated industries. And it's interesting, we've quite a bit of feedback from other groups like uh, women in trades, women truck drivers, you know, anything that's set up traditionally more physical jobs seems to be in the male space. And even though as an electrician, as a tradie, you don't necessarily go into your husband's family business, you might open your own business, but um, it's still seen as one by men, whether that's the truth or not. Or even at my own industry, media, I was often asked, especially when I was younger, whether I was a script girl, you know, that they would think that a young woman on the set might be the director or the producer, you know, that's, again, we often are seen as supportive roles, not as one of the key players. And I would say that apart from the classic nursing caring jobs, they are probably traditionally seen as female dominated. Yeah, most businesses are still, yeah, I, I think they're still seen as male-dominated, but it gets worse the, the, the more physical they become. And I think the one thing they all had in common was that if it's not, even if it's not their own industry, egg industry, direct neighbours or direct colleagues, it often is the entire field around it, the suppliers, the banks, you know, that they still want to speak to the husband. 
even if you're the business partner, you know, even if you're actually the one who makes a lot of these decisions in the business, uh, you know, in the office, women often take that part. It's still there. And one of our younger farmers, Annabelle Coppin, up in the Pilbara, really, really remote, uh, cattle station, fifth generation. She said to us, look, you know, even guys my age, and she's probably in her mid-30s, still have that attitude, you know. It's, you know, where's the man of the house to speak to? So it's still very much there. Jackie, have you ever experienced something like that where they want to talk to the man? Yeah, absolutely. And working in the ag industry, I even get phone calls from generally an older gentleman who will call and ask for a salesman. And my response is, hey, look, I could probably help you with this. Oh, handled with such diplomacy, Jackie. Well done. (laughs) But I think the importance of storytelling is not just about how we're perceived now as, as women on the land, as rural women, but it's about how girls see their own future. It, it was amazing. I don't know, you've probably seen it about half a year ago. There was this thing on Twitter, a young father with three daughters, Wheatbell WA. The daughters are somewhere between three and six, I think. And he asked his oldest daughter, so do you think, you know, you become a farmer one day? And she said to him, Daddy, no, because women don't drive tractors. And this girl grows up with young parents, both equally involved, the mother and the dad, the dad totally open and he was just flabbergated. So he sent this message out on Twitter saying, can you send me stories so I can tell my daughter that women do all these things? Of course, no, it went viral. And, um, but it's unbelievable. So a girl not even in school would have that perception and that perception is probably not even coming from home because at home that's not the story she's seeing so it's you you really have to wonder where all these underlying factors are that put that print on you i remember that nothing like a viral social media post to save the day absolutely but it's an indicator that gender in ag is really still a hot topic and that Many people are wanting to tell that story and engage in that conversation. Yeah, so let's recap on some of the storytelling lessons we've just heard. First one I picked up on is using the medium that you love. For Kim, it's photography. For Gisela, it's film. And Philippa, it's Instagram. And Instagram would be yours too. Can you guess mine? Um, Podcasting? Bingo. I mean, it means that it's a labour of love and you're easily motivated to get it done and you're probably good at it too. Now, I also picked up that all three of our storytellers really had something to say. They offered something different, perhaps even controversial. You know, Philippa jokes that she's opinionated. Kim knew she had to find her way into the crowded coffee table market. Who knew, right? So she found her niche. Yeah, and there's a million cookbooks out there, but Philippa has really cleverly used her lifestyle to create a cookbook of meals for their high country sheep station. And that's a pretty good niche. And I believe we have a copy of Philippa's new book to give away to one of our lovely ducks on the pond. Yes, we're giving away one of Philippa's cookbooks and it's a signed copy. And this is a special thank you to everyone who supported our first season of Ducks on the Pond. So check out our Instagram at Ducks on the Pond to find out how to go in the draw. And Jackie, that's it for our first season of Ducks on the Pond. But we will be back with another series in January next year. So not long at all. 
and keep those episode suggestions coming in. We still have so much we're planning to cover, including motherhood, looking after your health, as well as more business and marketing advice, all specifically for rural women. So a big thank you to all of our guests, Philippa Cameron, Kim Story, Gazella Kaufman, and a big thank you to you for listening. You can follow us and message us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'll catch you next time.